And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to uh, today talk about the importance of recognizing the unfolding purpose of God. Just as God told us at the beginning of this meeting when the Lord's word said that the messages would be in uh, proper, they would come in proper sequence and it would be on one theme. Those are not the exact words, but it's what the Lord said. You have seen it happen. And uh, God is in the uh, process of showing us something, emphasizing something. And God's works are mighty and they're marvelous in our sight. Thanks, Sister Super. Praise God and your fine husband for everything. I'm going to read uh, scripture. You've been um, sitting. We'll sit for a little bit. I'm going to read scripture that is found in the um, 8th chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 8. I will begin reading at uh, verse um, 26. I'm going, the scripture that I'm going to read, first uh, scriptures, <clears throat> emphasize the spiritual intervention or interaction in our life. Spiritual interaction in our life. Verses 26, 27. <clears throat> Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, or the weak places in our life. We know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. The Spirit itself does that. Oh, the action of the Spirit in our life, how much more we ought to give uh, <clears throat> liberty for it to move. The Spirit maketh intercession for us. The Spirit praying uh, for us when we don't know what to pray for. With groanings it cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Because he maketh intercession for us or for the saints according to the will of God. You may be seated. <clears throat> I think <clears throat> sometimes that we... Uh, we just don't uh, cultivate the possibilities of the move of the Spirit as we ought to. Now, this uh, verse of Scripture here is saying that um, the Holy Ghost actually prays through us. And in time, I came to realize that. For instance, sometimes there would be some Scripture that uh, I could not quite understand. It didn't have a handle on it. And I learned that if I prayed in the Spirit and I allowed the Spirit to make intercession and I allowed the Spirit to flow through me, that with it also would come revelation. And so I would pray in the Spirit. Now, the Apostle Paul said, I will pray with the understanding and I will also pray in the Spirit. 
I say to you sincerely that we Pentecostals sometimes do not traffic in our personal spiritual experiences as much as we possibly could. For instance, uh, it's more, used to be more prevalent than now. A person might receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and <clears throat> speak with tongues. And they may not speak with tongues again for uh, years. And uh, it's just that was just only the evidence of the Holy Ghost. That is not good. It is not good. In fact, Paul said, I will pray with the understanding and I will pray with the Spirit also. That is, I don't understand what it is, but it's still prayer. It is good for Pentecostal people to speak with tongues. And this is very good. Tongues is a miracle in itself that sometimes it gets to be old hat and we do not appreciate. I was with Brother Allen, uh, oh, <clears throat> pastors in Stockton, uh, and he has a good, good church there. And uh, I was with him. Allen is his first name. Maybe his last name will come to me a little bit. Uh, <clears throat> but he said to me, I want you to speak to my staff. Uh, the uh, Saturday. So, okay. So we came staff meeting. He had about 20 men there. And uh, so he nodded to a blocky uh, type fellow, thick chested, and he asked him, Brother so and so, uh, would you lead us in prayer? At once, this particular man uh, broke out in a foreign language. And it, it happened to be his own native language. He's more comfortable with it. And he, uh, he was praying in his own native language. This was my first time to see a bona fide Russian that was straight out of Russia, an immigrant to the United States. And it was also my first time to hear someone stand in my presence and speak the Russian language. I never heard that before, but immediately I recognized it. I recognized it as a language that uh, I have spoken several times, or maybe quite often before, and uh, I didn't know what I was speaking. Now look, if that's not a miracle, I don't know what it is, that I've never been to Russia, I've never seen a Russian. And yet, the language was familiar. I didn't know what he was saying, but uh, my spirit had spoken it, and, and so on. When we speak with tongues to move out of self and out of the natural and stay out there a while, uh, I'm going to speak with tongues every day. And if I pray, uh, we usually have at the last of uh, every month, last Friday of every month, uh, prayer at the church. It, uh, it's a prayer meeting that lasts three hours. And so I usually stay the whole three hours, and I look forward to it because 
I pray through some things and I get answers to some things during the process of that prayer. And a good part of that prayer, I'm praying in the Spirit. Well, are you doing good? You might be right, I'm doing good. Because I am praying for some things that I don't even know need to pray, be prayed for. And I'm lending myself and my support out there where the Spirit sees it and knows that it needs to be. Well, you might say, the Lord don't work that. Yes, He does. But God also works with a touch of the human agency. He wants people involved with it. And for a human mouth to be saying it. And He will put the words into their mouth to say it. And so... And again, what does this do? It hones our own spirits to where that we are sensitive to the Spirit of God. Often when I go ministering and the, the pastor lets me off at the motel, says, um, what time do you uh, <clears throat> want me to pick you up for service? Uh, I'm 15 minutes ahead of time. I said, no, if it's convenient, to an hour ahead of time. Are you sure? Yeah, I want to pray in the church. I want to pray in the prayer room. I want to walk up and down in there. I want to talk in tongues in there. I want to talk in tongues before I preach. I want to get away from myself. I want to get sensitive to what the Spirit might be saying. Pentecostal folks should never be put into a program, should not be programmed. They should be fluid and responsive to do and sense what the Spirit wants at a particular time. So uh, <clears throat> this is the uh, direction that God is attempting to move us at, at this time, that uh, we, we actually be, be sensitive, very sensitive to what God, not only uh, <clears throat> the spiritual interaction of the Spirit in our life, but uh, scriptures here speak about divine logistics, uh, Romans 8 and 28, the logic of God, how what he does. And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. And I'm going to elaborate on that. I'll be dealing with that uh, later. Then comes also in the scriptures that uh, we like to use for reverence, God's objective fashioning of our life. Verses uh, 29 and 30. How that his purposes forms, helps form our life. For whom he did foreknow, since he knew our disposition, he knew all about us. And what did he do? Well, he said, uh, since he knew that and he foreknew, he predestinated it. He, it became his purpose for us. To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate or purpose, them he also called, and whom he called, them also he justified, and whom he justified, 
and be also glorified. And so their entire life is formed, fashioned, and it's, it's honed to fit into his particular purpose. And we are predestinated to it or purposed to that particular course of action. There is power in God's purpose. Finally, the guaranteed success of this entire scenario. Well, what shall I then say to these things? Well, uh, if these things be true that I've just said, Paul said, what, uh, what is the sum total? The simple sum total is this. If God be for us, who can be against us? Praise God. Praise God. If we move in the Spirit, if we are led of the Spirit, if we're guided by the Spirit, and we are in the purpose of God, there's just nothing, nothing that uh, can thwart God's uh, intent for us and what God wants. That uh, is the way that our dear Lord works. Anointed leadership sees things that, that uh, the followers of such anointed leadership may not see. Psalms 103 and verse 7 said, God made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of men. Moses knew the direction God was moving. He knew what the end result of such and such would be. He saw Canaan, the people that followed him, saw getting out under the whips and the drudgery of slavery. Um, this is what uh, they saw. They saw his axe. They saw the manna. They saw the rock and so on. Moses saw beyond that. In fact, Hebrews chapter uh, 11, verse 27, said that Moses saw that things that were invisible. He, he saw things that were not. He saw the invisible. And Deuteronomy 18.15 uh, said that he saw a prophet that should be, rise from among the people that would be like Moses himself. And, and Moses said, Him shall you hear. Uh, he saw that prophet, or Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ, the, the Messiah. And then in the same context and in the same chapter, here is the scripture for us today. This is something else that Moses saw. Deuteronomy 32 and 2, he said, The doctrine shall drop as the rain. Amen. Doctrine shall drop as the rain. This is, this is uh, going to become a reality. It's beginning to be a reality. Uh, it's going to come more because people that uh, have received the Holy Ghost are people that have given themselves to a spiritual experience. Uh, <clears throat> they unfortunately have not been attached to doctrine, but there is a direct needed for solidarity, for foundational security in everybody. A need to be able to put your finger upon something and say, this is what I believe here, and this is where I stand. A hunger rises up in time, and there shall become come a vacuum of need there, and God will respond. Doctrine will drop as the rain. I believe, uh, I believe that. 
Paul uh, also saw the invisible. Great leadership has a way of doing that. Paul saw the invisible. 2 Corinthians 12 and 4 said, The things that I saw was not lawful for a person to utter. Paul caught a glimpse of what God wished to do with the church and his intent for the church and the place that the Jews should fit into and what the Jewish people should do for a proper response. He saw all of that. And <clears throat> Romans, the ninth chapter, verse 3, gives us the uh, end result of a person who sees the purpose of God and he becomes victimized by it. It is so challenging, so beautiful, so powerful, so needful, so meaningful, so much contingent on it. Until what did the Apostle Paul say about the execution of God's purpose? This is uh, the extent that he was willing to go to for the execution of that purpose. Uh, he said, Romans 9 and 3, I could wish myself accursed uh, from God for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, here's two men that uh, saw the invisible and who saw God's purpose. What uh, effect did that have upon Moses? All right, in the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy, verse 32, you will find the complete, uh, absolute, unmeasurable commitment of a man who saw uh, the, the purpose of God and who saw the invisible. Here in this one scripture, you will find the mystery of the long dash. It is the only verse of Scripture in the Bible that has the long dash. There is only one long dash in the entire Bible. And you will find it in Deuteronomy uh, 32 and 32. This was when Moses was pleading with God not to destroy Israel because uh, Moses had seen God's purpose for Israel. And he knew that out of them would come that prophet like unto myself and uh, him shall you hear. So he was praying. The prayer that Moses had going to God was so intimate. It was so sincere. It was so, uh, had so much in it until it became too sacred uh, to record. And so the prayer cuts off and you got a dash how long transpired there I don't know an hour two hours a day of prayer but finally at the conclusion of that prayer at the end of the dash he his summation was this and if not he said if you're going to take them out blot my name out also what did the second man say? He said, I could wish myself accursed from God for my kinsmen according to the flesh. Both of these saw the purpose of God and it becomes so tremendously involved with it until 
they were absolutely beside themselves. This is the importance of knowing God's purpose. That it is not just a matter of playing church. It's not just a matter of coming to church. It's a matter of being something that's powerful, overwhelming, that is tremendous, that is bigger than anybody, bigger than me. Who am I? I would give myself to it. No such thing as me trying to save myself. Not when we see God's purpose. And three times in my life I have prayed prayer that said, uh, three times I prayed the same prayer on different occasions. Each occasion was connected with a something that I was felt like was very, very important to the kingdom of God. It had to do with a particular scenario, pro, 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 project, or a situation that I desperately felt like needed to be carried through and not stopped. And three times on different occasions, desperation caused me to pray. My last prayer of the day, God, this needs to be done. God, it's got to be done. God, if my death would help this situation, let me die tonight. Don't let me open my eyes in the morning. Take my life tonight if that would help this thing to come to pass. But I have never, never got even close to the place that I could say I'm willing to go to hell for it. I have been willing to die for it, but never willing to go to hell for it. But it's almost difficult to believe that I have brought here to our attention today the actual fact that two men have stated that they were willing to go to hell to see God's purpose executed. To know God's purpose is therefore a very, very important and valuable thing to a growing, progressive individual and also for the kingdom of God. It was said of people that they loved not their lives and to death and, and so on. Two factors are in, were involved in this that would bring about uh, this particular enthrallment. Uh, one is, uh, is love. All things work together for the good to them who love the Lord or who have a relationship with God, who actually know Him. That's the first ingredient. The second is, and who are called according to His purpose. Purpose and relationship. If a person has relationship with God and know God's purpose, and the question is asked, if God be for us, who can be against us? You're talking about invincible uh, employment of humanity in execution of God's purpose. And <clears throat> this is the way God stacks it up. Divine logistics that we made reference to um, 
how that uh, all things work together for the good. And the blend of it and the mix of it. I had a privilege to talk with a uh, dean of um, science department in Montana University about uh, two years ago, Do Dr. Wickham. And in the process of uh, talking with him, I said to him, I said, Dr. Uh, Wickham, uh, uh, something that uh, I'd like to ask you is what's that? I said, how is it that particles on one side of our particular solar system uh, interlap, can interact with particles on the opposite side of the, our solar system, which you're talking about billions of miles apart there. And simultaneously, the, the particles can have interaction, respond to each other. I said, now, that is faster than the speed of light, the communication. That's faster than speed of light. And speed of light is ultimate. And what, uh, what kind of communication could that be? And the doctor didn't hesitate. He smiled and he said to me, he said, uh, there is a universal mind that broods over all. And it's everywhere at once. And it's always present. A universal mind. All things, everything working in its particular orbit and according to its given track to the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. When God does things, he does a million things at once. A million things. A million more. Another million. And that goes on and on. And if Every one of those million things harmonizes with everything that has been done ever in the realm of time. It harmonizes with everything that's going to be done in the realm of time. And so in the old scenario, we have trillions and trillions of interacting situations that we know nothing about. And what is it doing? It's working for that apostolic person down there and to see that it's going to work out. But why? Because he is a part of my purpose. He belongs to the corporation. He is executing the, the project. He is, uh, is, he's helping bring about my will in this. So he is, it's going to work. It's going to work. That's why it is so important for Pentecostal folks not to be church members only. Amen. That we do have a living, breathing, radiant, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Praise God. And we know Him. And the presence of God flows through Him. Praise God. Now, I know that this is uh, maybe not a whole lot inspirational, but, but what, what do we have here? We're, we're talking about things sub, 
surface. We're talking things underneath the floorboard of consciousness. We are talking about where the energy comes from. We are talking about source here today. I don't know about you, but I feel a lot more comfortable and better if I can see the big picture. And if I can see the uh, mosaic of, of, uh, of all of it. And, and what, what uh, makes the thing tick? What makes it work? What base are we coming off of? So when I consider things like this, and I say, man, if I'm in the will of God, and I am indeed not only foreknown, but I'm predestinated that, that I'm, I'm, I'm sighted in, I've become a part of His purpose. Well, uh, man, nothing can stand before me. Praise God. That's right. Nothing can stand before me. Right in the center of His will. Judges, uh, for instance, Judges 5 and 20 this is after the tremendous uh, victory in Barak and, um, and uh, Deborah, and <clears throat> where the uh, hordes of the enemy led by Sisera was uh, put down. And it was an impossible thing because they had the iron chariots and um, there was no way that they could win the war. But they did win. The war was won. And after it was over, uh, perhaps people... Uh, uh, Ask why? How did you do it? Well, they had such edge on you, and it was such an impossible thing that you could win. So the summation that you find there is simply that uh, how did we do it? The stars in their courses, they fought against them. That the very universe was involved in the situation and the Doctor smiled and said to me, there is a universal mind. And then Paul said, all things is in the mix and the turn. And, and that you've got everything on your side. And, and that it will work for you, praise God. Woo! Yeah. And then Paul said, <clears throat> he believed that too. He said, this thing about the church and, and uh, what we're involved with, redemption and, uh, and the kingdom of God, he, he put it this way. He said, um, why? All creation groans. It's involved too. It's subject to vanity unwillingly. And he even accounted life to the seemingly inanimate things of nature. That, but it is involved too. And it will work for you. We're talking about the, the purpose of God is absolute. It is incontestable. It is going to be done. Now who executes that purpose? Now that's contingent. But, um, but the fact that it's going to be executed is absolute. Amen. Why is that? Because God respects human choice. And uh, he, is, uh, he will give people choice. You can be a part of his purpose if you want to. You can choose not to be a part of his purpose if you want to. Praise God. And, but the purpose is going to be carried out. It's going to be done. 
I was up in Harvey Camp, New Brunswick, years ago. In those days, they had a 10-day camp. Man, boy, they went on and on. They expected you to be up in, in the prayer meeting. And the prayer meeting was before daylight. And um, the fog came blowing through that little rough prayer room out of Harvey Lake. And it was cold, and even in the summertime. And uh, they didn't allow a newspaper on the grounds, nothing. I didn't have a car. And uh, so that little spot there beside Harvey Lake, that was it. Well, that was fine. until. But I got so lonesome, man. I was away from my church two weekends. And uh, I worried about the, the church when they were going on. And uh, I don't think there's even a telephone on the grounds. No, there wasn't even a telephone on the grounds at that time. And so uh, I had a little, a little uh, two-room place. Was it two-room or one-room? I don't remember. wasn't sealed at all, just studs and, and had a little humpy bed. And uh, <clears throat> uh, had some 16-penny nails saying your clothes on. So, uh, uh, I, you'd go home from church, and that was it, friend. It was all over. You're supposed to go to bed and go to sleep. Well, I preached my guts out every night. I was so wound up in, in all of this. And, and uh, if I'd have had a newspaper to read or something to come off of it, it would have helped a lot, you know. And, uh, but, um, uh, nothing. Get undressed and get in that lumpy bed and and uh, get warm and uh, but couldn't go to sleep. I got up and one night and dressed and put on my all weather coat. And that, it was so foggy. The wind was bringing those that that fog in there and long sweeps and dashes and and it was ghostly. And but I walked out and. Uh, I was tired of that little place anyway. Just one bare light bulb in there. And so I walked a little paths out in the campground. Electric lights strung through the trees, hooked onto the trees, bare light bulbs, and it was dim and dark. The fog coming through and like marching armies and couldn't uh, kneel to pray, but says the ground was soggy. Stood there, and the water was dripping off of the branches and the leaves. And I talked to God, prayed for my wife back home with all of the burden of the church and and the kids and and all of that. And I got in touch with God. I'll tell you what happened that night. I came to a place in God that night that made me, I was never, I've never been the same since. I came to the consciousness of the universality of God, to the holistic uh, uh, part that I played. I felt myself a part of the entire cosmos and of the entire universe, and I became sensitized to, to, this mix and stir and the workings out there that I didn't know anything about, but it gave to me a sense of 
importance and, and a belonging. And, and I've never been the same since. No! I walked through this earth ever since, friend, with a firmer tread. My, my shoulders squared, my hands up. I am a part of something, friend, that there's nothing can stand against, that His purpose will be executed. And the very universe itself groans, and it's involved, and it's going to bring it about. Yeah, this is what the Word of God is saying to us today. The importance of God's purpose. Strong <clears throat> energy flow. Universal energy. There is a river that flows from deep within. There is a fountain that frees a soul from sin. Come to these waters. There is a vast supply. There is a river that never shall run dry. Mighty and powerful. Ezekiel said it couldn't be passed over. Thank God. Yes, sir. God executes adjustments so that His purpose will stay coarse. Because... Why are adjustments necessary? Because God has committed Himself to work with fallible and imperfect flesh. He has placed it into the hands of people like you and I. And He says, work it out. Uh, you're my tools. You're my channels that I will run through. You're the conduits of my, my uh, will, of my execution. And so it is... Uh, uh, it's in your hands. Listen, listen, listen. God has never, never had the opportunity of working with a perfect situation. If I talk today to somebody here that you feel like that it's got to be absolutely perfect or God won't have one thing to do with it, you're wrong. God has never, never, never had the privilege of working with a perfect situation. Well, what has God done? Listen, listen, listen. God has always taken what he had to work with and done the best he could with it. Praise God. Glory. He may not be able to get that much done, but he never quits working. All things work together. And the working goes on. Yeah, moving toward God's ultimate. 
Let's pray the first two lines of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray it again. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And it's going to be done. Let's worship the Lord. Glory. <clears throat> Woo! Glory! Glory! Praise God. Sometimes God's uh, work is moving out across time and uh, the, there's deviation in it because of the human factor. It's not being ex executed as it should. And there are times that God executes a correction. And there is an insertion that he makes into the stream of the activity to correct the, uh, the, the direction that it's moving. For instance, the Ark of the Covenant was in captivity a total of 69 years from the time that the Philistines took it and to the time that David brought it back comprised a total of, of uh, 69 years. During this time, God himself chose a man that would be the king in Israel because Israel wanted a king. And so he picked one out. You would think that the one that God picked out, would he would be perfect and he would have no of fallibility and so on. But it was flesh. And Saul, uh, 39 years, of this 69 years that the ark was in captivity, Saul was king in Israel, 39 years. During that 39 years, he did not make one effort to go down there and get that ark and bring it back. He didn't care anything about it. He cared a whole lot about his image, and he turned to Samuel one time and begged him. He said, uh, bless me before the people. Don't, don't walk off and leave me here in this, in this embarrassing situation. Uh, give me a good front, and so on. And so Paul was uh, Saul. But in time, God chose David as king. And uh, David, after he got things running and so on, he turned his attention to the fact we need to bring the ark back and put it where it belongs. And so he turned his attention to it. The first attempts, of course, ended in failure, you know, uh, resulting in death of people that did not do it with the respect that they should to bring the ark back. David did it right. He got it right. And um, so they moved it back. Took a good while because ever so many uh, rods or whatever, well, they uh, stopped and offered sacrifices and they worshipped. And, and so slowly, leapfrog, eat frog, well, they brought the, the ark back.
During this time, six to nine years, the tabernacle sat there without a soul in the holiest of holies. The real focus point was going out of it. The ark was not there. It was impossible to execute a full-fledged, meaningful worship experience without the ark being in place. What did they do? There's no record what they did. I don't even know whether they had church or not. But it was a, it was a mockery. And the ark was gone. It was, it was devastating. And so now we got it. So here comes David with the dancing before the ark. And all of the joy got the ark. And so he comes with the ark. He comes with the ark. And the tabernacle of Moses is in Gibeon. The tabernacle of Moses at uh, that time was uh, 449 years old. Now, how old is that? It is as if 61 years after Columbus discovered America, that somebody, say, um, in Baton Rouge, said, let's put up a tabernacle. And they put up a, a tabernacle in Baton Rouge, and we could go down there now and see that tabernacle that was put up 400 and and. Uh, something years, 44, 49 years prior. Badger skins, they had to renew it for it to stand there. Old, old. And uh, almost as old as from the time Columbus discovered America. Here comes David, though. <laughs> and the ark is there. Going to put it back behind the curtains. The oldest of holies. He got within six miles of the uh, tabernacle of Moses and stopped. Uh, King, what's what we're going to do? Take the ark and put it under the tent there. And what? Uh, put the ark under the tent. Nothing in the law about an ark being under that tent. Uh, God never just said put the ark under that tent. Would you? Just six more miles, and uh, here you're, you're stopping in Zion. You're supposed to be in Gibeon, and what's happening? Listen, because of the disposition of people, God finds it necessary sometimes to make an insertion, he, to create an interlude, and to bring about a correction. Now, I've had the Holy Ghost 66 years, but uh, I think that's right. I received the Holy Ghost in 1937, but um, now I have seen some insertions since I have received the Holy Ghost. I can look back and detect them. That God has stepped in. And first we might have thought. Catastrophe. It's just horrible thing. No listen. Listen. It's some of those all things. That work together. Good them. To get this thing back on course. And 
straightened back out again. Even if it takes the whole universe, it's, it's, we're going to make it. Praise God. And what did Jesus say? He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Corrections? Yeah, there's going to be some corrections. Is it going going to make everybody happy? No, it's not going to make everybody happy. Is it going to scare some folks? I guarantee you scare the socks off of you. That's right. But it's some of that all stuff. This is the reason why precious people here in Bogalusa today, the old man comes and he tells you that if we, it's important to know the unfolding of God's purpose so that you don't climb the walls, get upset, and so rest, rest in the placid assurance that, that it's going to work out. God's, it's God's church. He's going to take care of it. Praise God. Praise God. Yes, sir. So, what, what happens? The Ark of the uh, Covenant stays there under that tent for uh, 39 years. And, or was it 28 years? Uh, they, uh, what, uh, what they do? Ark of the Covenant is there. Now listen, there was no court of the women, there was no court of the Gentiles, there was uh, no court of the uh, men, uh, it was open worship. What did they do? They just, <laughs> the choir singing day and night, glory to God, Woo! some of that stuff we had going on last night. I thought it was going to get out of control last night. And it did, thank God. <laughs> and so, the, what was God doing? Uh, why all of this? It was an insertion of simplicity. You have got so calcified, and you think you own God, God is saying, and you think that you got me in that box, that you can haul me around wherever you want to haul me, praise God, and that you're obligated to do what I tell you to do, and uh, that you got me by the ear, and, and, and so on. That's simply because you're Israel and you got the law and yah, yah, and so on, that you got an edge on everything. And God says, Look, wait a minute, I'm still God. Still running this thing. Praise God. So we're going to learn that a while. Ark's going to stay here under this tent. And so we're going to have a good insertion of simplicity. No pomp, no splendor, no, no great placating. No, just, just people, Gentiles and women all over the place and men together and glory to God and just having a good time. 
for 28 years. Six miles away over there was Tabernacle of Moses. And God has said, you learned that? You got the point yet? And it was there. I guess they did. Because when Solomon built the, um, the temple, order was given, go get the ark. That was the last thing went in. And here it comes. You know, it's good to get it straight, isn't it? Yeah. To get right with God. To have relationship. To flow. To feel peace. Thank God. Hallelujah. And you know, as Brother Dylan read the scripture this morning, the glory cloud, the smoke, the fire, and so on, it came. What did God do? He brought about an adjustment. I started to count the name, the number of times that the word Selah was used in Psalms. That, had, that was last year uh, sometime. And so I got a little piece of paper down. And I started with the first chapter, and I marked how many times in that chapter. And, and so by the time I got to the 89th chapter, I thought, well, I'm... I'm tired of this. <clears throat> so, but I had counted 43 times in the first 89 chapters that the word Selah was used there. What's the word Selah mean? It is pause. It, it's a rest. Or it is, it's time to reflect. Now their singing was not like ours. It was made up of truths and the psalms, the songs that was written for the uh, choir of the tabernacle and elsewhere. It has script. It's scriptural. It, uh, and but it is in. It is spoken and gone out into a cadence that had rhythm to it and had a director, and so that the beat and the cadence was the same. And but ever so often, the it was the pause. Silence. And what you've got here, the directors, in effect, or God is saying, I want you to think about what you're saying. Uh, I want you, this is not just a performance. It is, we're talking about truth. And uh, let's, let's let it be from our heart. And let it be something that's real, not just entertainment, not something that puts us up front and it gives us some exposition but uh, let's stop and let's make it uh, make it worthwhile Selah Tabernacle David was Selah it's a time of reflection and <clears throat> that we think about what is happening 2 Corinthians 11:3, Paul said that he feared lest their minds be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. Just simple. You know, God loves people. Just plain people. 
just people. I don't know what kind of offices are represented here today in the world, what kind of job you have or what not. It don't matter. Hey, guys, you put your britches on the same way I do. That's right. We're just, we're made out of the same mud. That's right. God says, no snooty snoots, please. We had a felon in the, we have a felon in the church now. When I first went to Port Arthur to pastor that church, this fellow was single. He was raised by his uh, mother who was widowed. Her, her husband had died. She'd done a, got her a job, got a rich, become a rich nurse, and made enough money to support herself and her, her son. She raised the boy. Maybe he was a little mama's boy, I don't know, but he was, a, he was a good guy. But he had been brought up under a, a condemnation, condemnation. And most every time preachers stand to preach, he'd come at him with a club, you see. And <clears throat> so he had this complex. So Billy, uh, when he would do something wrong, as all of us do sometimes, and um, he was backslid, lost the Holy Ghost, and um, cowed down and come back to church. Maybe after a while he'd have a revival and he'd show up to church again, sensitive conscience, and man, he would come back and hit that all. Oh, 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 oh. Leave his tears there. God's a God of love. Forgive him. He just. Yeah, fill him with the spirit and so on. And but see this was a repetitious thing. So one uh, Sunday morning, uh yeah, Billy hadn't been in church in a long time. But there he was. And at the end of the message, here he comes at the same thing. Well, he's a good guy and uh in his attitude and all. I had things to questions to answer and conversations to hold and and, and so on uh, up around the pulpit folks coming covered and so on. The altar call was just about over before I got loose enough to get down there. And by this time Billy had gotten to his feet and he had been gloriously blessed with the Spirit of God and felt himself forgiven and he was happy. And I walked around the front of the pulpit and. He was standing there, and I just opened my arms. I took him, hugged him real good. I love you, Billy, and so good to see you here. We missed you. Glad you're glad you're here. Uh, stepped back and looked at him, and hands on his shoulder. It seemed to me, I, it seemed like that pulpit changed into a bloody cross. And I heard myself saying to him. Billy, do you know where you and I are standing this morning? Well, he didn't know how to respond to a question like that. And I said, we're standing at the foot of Calvary. And I said, two sinners at the foot of Calvary. And somebody might say, sinners? Oh, oh, well, wait a minute. Yeah. 
saved by God's grace. Saved by God's grace. And I said, Billy, the ground at the foot of the cross is real level. And it has no high promontories that anybody can look down their nose and anybody else and there's no big eyes and no little ears and so here we are Billy you and I at the foot of Calvary both of us blessed and loved by God I shook him just a bit I said hey man why don't you just hook on where you are now let's go on from here we're trying to get something done in this town won't you help me? I need your help. The church needs your help. <laughs> Do you know what? That did that fellow more good than anything else he'd heard. The fact that just hook on where you are. Join his purpose. Praise God. Let's get on with it. Thank God. Thank God. So Acts, the 15th chapter, there was another correction. And big revival going. Things looking good. But they're getting into the whole scenario, a imposition, an insertion of an ideology that uh, was not New Testament. It was not apostolic. It was... Pharisaic and it was uh, it, it didn't actually come even from Old Testament scripture it, it was something that tickled people's ego Phariseeism and so they had to settle it and they went to um, Jerusalem for a conference and there was quite a bit of discussion and Peter stood up and he made very good statement and I'll get back to what he said in just a bit here and uh, when Peter finished what he was saying Peter said that both uh, the, the Gentiles as well as we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ my well, boy that was a statement and uh, <clears throat> Um, then when he finished James that was a, a strategic point and Chairman James stepped into it and made a summation to close the meeting and he uh, refer referenced back to a scripture in Amos the ninth chapter the 11th verse that the prophet had spoken 787 years prior what was that scripture? And I will raise up again the ruins of the tabernacle of David. It's going to be another sila. It'll be another correction. It'll be another pause here. We've got to get on course. We must be sure that we're in the purpose of God. It's time for me to quit, and I'm going to. Lots more I could say, but I would close with this, this plea. Pentecostals, oh, Pentecostals. 
Haven't we matured enough? Haven't we come to know God enough? Aren't we secure enough in the blood of Jesus Christ? That. We don't get too upset over corrections. Over the insertions. Praise God. God attempting to put us in the middle of His purpose and the road that He is seeking to put us in. Praise God. We are in a strategic time. We have come to the kingdom, as our young brother Dylan said today, for such a time as this. It is estimated that 85% of Protestant churches in America are either stagnant or dying. The leaders of these churches are merely managing their distant founders' dreams. The faithful in the pews are hoping that tomorrow will be yesterday. That is the condition of 85% of the Protestant churches in existence today. That's our religious world that we are existing in. In the year of 1965, I remember it, perhaps you do too, a decision that the religious world made. I suppose most all denominations made it. In making this decision, they created a word that had not been in existence until 1965. What was that word they had to create to describe their disposition? This is it. De-absolutize. We're going to de-absolutize, which means no more absolutes. Everything's relevant. And, uh, and so on. And you know what happened? They thought that they would be relating to culture and whatever else, and um, they would grow. Contrary, they went from that point. They went down. Only Southern Baptists who did not de-absolutize stayed at an even keel. The rest that did, it went down. Hey! There's got to be some absolutes. There's got to be some true reference points. There's got to be some things that's right and there's some things that are wrong. Praise God. And as Marcia said, unless we stand for something, we shall fall for anything. <clears throat> Praise God. So those people in their decline, they said it was contextual factors. Here we go again with a play of words. That things outside of the, the church, outside of their, their institution, these were the factors that was causing shrinkage. But it was not. It was institutional factors. It was things inside the institutions that was causing them to die. Presbyterians in this particular uh, time frame, um, in 27 years, uh, they watched the decline, the shrinkage, 
Finally, in 1992, they called their top leadership to Chicago to find out what their priorities was, and they spent almost one year there, 300 people did, in Chicago, came out of that meeting with a document that had 256 pages in it that named 143 things that were denominational priorities. And Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me, and so on. Well, you couldn't get your teeth in a bite that big. So, uh, it didn't help. So, between 1968 and 1994, the Presbyterians lost one million people. That is in six years. United Methodists, Lyle Scaller, who spent all of his, his ministry in the United Methodist Church, and he, he plugged for uh, organization renewal and whatnot. And finally wrote the book, The Tattered Trust. And in it, I, I, I drew this statement. The very policies of the United Methodist Church are organized around the distrust of the individual. Strong spiritual leadership is now impossible in the United Methodist Church. So between 1968 and 1940, in 94, the United uh, Methodist Church dropped from 11 million people to 8 million. They lost 3 million people in 6 years. Episcopal Church dropped from 3 million people to 2 million in 6 years. Assembly of God. And I was at the advanced meeting, the top meeting, where that they, uh, they decided to the, the renewal of the Assembly of God movement. And I was sitting in the congregation. I, I went into their committee meetings and so on. Happened to be living in St. Louis when they had there. And I took, took time and I went down there. And I, uh, I moved among them like I was an assembly of God. Now my ears were open and I looked and I saw all of that. And I was sitting there when they began to give the summations of the decision. This was the top level meeting. This was the final meeting. And this was the one that undid them. We have decided that from henceforth we will image ourselves more as evangelical instead of Pentecostal. We feel like that we will relate to the people better and that we will grow faster if we uh, are images evangelical. What did they do? They painted themselves into a corner. They were a sitting duck for the charismatic movement. They became and so secularized and, and so on. And losing Pentecostal demonstration and lifestyle and worship and so on. When the charismatic came, they had no defense. And they got beat up real good and, and so on. So they lost. They, they have a very efficient uh, general organization. I suppose the best church organization out you would find in the assembly of God. And so on. But spiritual energy was gold. Through IHOP, what, four years ago, Brother Nathan Scoggins and his wife, Jake, uh, uh, Terry Pugh and his wife, myself and my wife, we passed hurriedly through. We were led by a hostess that was taking us to a reserve table and uh, 
she was walking fast, and so I was at the back end of the line, and someone grabbed this hand. I stopped, I looked down at uh, a man that I like, a fellow that is a good man. He is the pastor of the First Assembly of God Church in Odessa, Texas. He held my hand, he looked up at me, and he said, well, would you know, I said, me and my friend were just sitting here, and I looked over, and there's another fellow I knew. He's the pastor of Faith Tabernacle, Assembly of God Church in Odessa, Texas. He said, we were just sitting here, and we were talking about you folks. And I said, oh, 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 no, no, no. He said, we were talking about your strengths. Talking about your strengths. Your strengths. This is a tie, my friend, that um, we ought to be glad, like Minnie Pearl used to say, I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be here. Praise God. 